y'all. So good to see everyone. I lost something, so I got to look for it. Hey, Callie Mae. What are you doing? I'm, I'm looking for a quarter eye drop. I have some time. Maybe I can help you find it. Okay. I could use some help. I've been here for hours. Wait a minute. Did you say you have been searching for hours and haven't found your quarter yet? Yep. Well, we have looked everywhere, I can think. In some places, I can't think. And still, no quarter. Are you sure you lost your quarter? Oh, I lost it all right. Hmm. Well, think it through. What were you doing when you lost it? Hmm, let me think. Um, well... I was at a bubblegum machine, I think. Mm -hmm. Hold on. Mm -hmm. Yep. I was at a bubblegum machine, and when I went to put my quarter in the slot, it slipped out of my hand. I heard it hit the ground, and I think it rolled a little bit. A little bit? But, Callie Mae, the bubblegum machine is two blocks over from here. So what? Well... Don't you think you should be looking for your quarter there? No, nope, nope, because the light's better over here. But the quarter's over there. I know, but it, I'm so afraid of the dark. You never know what could be lurking out there. Hmm. But don't you have a flashlight? Um... I think so, but but I'm still scared, and you never know what the light may attract. It attracts all kinds of things, like moths and everything. Scary. Hmm, that may be true, Callie Mae, but you have to look for lost things where lost things are. Um, what do you mean, Eddie? The purpose of the flashlight is to shed light in dark places. You know, it's like that song we sang last Sunday, This Little Light of Mine. Yep. I think you're going off the deep end, Eddie. Hmm. Not really. Think about this. Hmm. You're thinking? Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Thinking. If you shine your light where lost things are, you are bound to find lost things. If you stay in the comfort of bright lights, you'll never find those lost things. So, you think I should go over there? Oh, I don't know. It's a little scary, Eddie. Well, click on your flashlight. Oh, I forgot I did have a flashlight. Hold on, let me go get it. I'll be right back. Duh, that's exactly what I meant. You got it? Got it. All right, let's go look. All right, let's look. Y'all help us look. things were or are mm, Eddie this wasn't about lo- losing my quarter or lost things was it not exactly Callie Mae it was about lost things and how we can help find them okay I get it now 
We need to shine our light so that others can see the love we have as Christians. We need to draw them to our lights and let them know the joy of life with Christ, right? That's good, Callie Mae. Probably better than I could have said it. Yep. Thought so. Thanks, Eddie. No problemo. Hey, you want to go see if anybody else has lost their quarter too? Um, now, Eddie, I know you're messing with me now. Come on. I'm just joking. Okay, let's go, let's go. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Would you give them a hand as they leave, please? Again, we're glad that you're here today. I'm going to be using the screen quite a bit this morning, so I'm going to stand here so that that can be darkened a little bit back there and you'll be able to see the screen just a little bit better. As most of you know, we've been dealing for um, well over a year now, going through the Bible, preaching from a different book of the Bible each week. And um, today we come to the book of Titus. Titus in the New Testament, one of the pastoral epistles. And this morning I'm going to kind of wrap up First and Second Timothy and Titus all in a package uh, as we end these uh, that are designated pastoral epistles. And I may be doing it in a kind of unusual way, but that's okay. You're used to unusual things, I think, uh, at this time on Sunday mornings. No telling what we may do. So um, if you'll follow the screen with me closely, I was, we're going to be talking about how firm a foundation we have as Christians in the Word of God. Now, as I was flipping through the channels this past week on TV, I ran across a, a story, I think it was probably National Geographic, that was doing this story on um, a, a certain people group. You've all seen those types of programs. And this was a whole city, I guess, village that was built out in the ocean, miles away from land, on houses similar to this. Now, I I didn't capture the images from the screen that day, but it looked very similar to these huts or these shanties built on... Let's go back, please. These uh, huts and shanties built on... Um, sticks. I won't even call those poles. <laughs> it looked more like sticks in the water there. And when I was watching that program, I thought, now here is a group of people living out in the sea on houses like this, built on little tiny poles or sticks. They've lived there for many, many years. Some of them have lived there their whole lives and raised families there. And there's just dozens of these kinds of things out there. And, of course, they go out in their little boats and they catch their fish. And and everything they eat comes from the sea. Um, I love the coast and I love to fish. But, boy, I wouldn't want to live that way, would you? Uh, and But when I looked at that, I thought, now, there's not much of a foundation under those little dwellings, is there? As a matter of fact, I've been on the ocean before when I would not want to have been in one of those when the ocean was that rough. Uh, not a very secure uh, dwelling at all and certainly not much of a foundation there. And then the next shot that we'll look at shows other homes and dwellings built up one above another on a very, very steep hillside. Some built on top of the other. I couldn't count how many dwellings there are there. I'm not sure how many of them may be connected and one family lives there. But I think I can say one thing with uh, some certainty. There's not much of a great foundation below each one of those. I don't think I would want to visit those homes, much less dwell in those homes. As shabby as they look and uh, as if they might just fall at any time on that hillside there. They certainly need a better foundation than what's available to them there. And then the next one is just a modern version of what we just looked at. And that's pretty to look at, but I declare 
those which are hanging up pretty high don't have a real great foundation either. I don't know about trusting all that weight to the buildings that are on the very bottom where there might be a foundation. The point is we need a good foundation. As a matter of fact, in our homes, we have one that looks maybe very similar to the next. Homes or businesses nowadays. Now that's a foundation right there. That's a good one. There was a story told of a little boy and his dad who were walking through a large city. And as they walked through the city, you know how it is. There are barricades and fences everywhere where they're doing construction so that people don't don't get into trouble and, and get in dangerous areas. Well, this little boy was peeping through a fence, looking down into this gaping hole in the middle of a big city. And he said, Dad, why do they have such a deep hole? And the dad gave a really wise answer. He said, son, you have to dig really deep when you're planning on building really high to have a good, solid foundation. You'll see that here in this picture. There's a foundation there that, uh, and you can see it's below ground level where they've dug the soft dirt away, gone down to solid footing, built this mammoth foundation out of concrete, and they're getting ready to build who knows what there. I, I don't really know. It doesn't really matter. But a good foundation goes deep and is solid and will last, and it will protect the integrity of the building, right? There's a reason for a good foundation. Now, this next shot shows us what can happen when you've got a problem with your foundation. If the foundation is not good, there's going to be problems with the building. Amen? That's exactly, I got this picture right here from a company's website that, that repairs foundations. And this is a picture of what can happen. You might say, well, that's not a big deal. It's just a crack in the brick. Well, that crack in the brick results from the fact that the foundation has broken and itself is not stable and this foundation doesn't have integrity. If the foundation has no integrity and is shabby, then the building's going to end up being the same way. But this morning, I'm not here to talk about building. I'm here to talk about something much more important than that, and that is spiritual foundation that all of us need to have in our lives. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 19, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And... Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now, I'd like for you to notice this particular verse of Scripture. It's really kind of strange, I think, the way it's worded when you look at it. Paul, the apostle, in writing to Timothy, makes this statement that the solid foundation of God stands. You don't have to worry about the integrity of the foundation of God. Amen? What God has outlined, and we'll be talking about this for a few minutes. This foundation that God has provided for us. He's provided for us a foundation as individuals, uh, collectively, as the church, as a whole. There is a foundation upon which this is built. Upon which we are placed. And according to the Bible, it is a solid foundation. It's a foundation of God and it's the foundation that stands. And here is the seal, if you will. Here is the proof that this foundation is good and will stand. And he names these two things. Number one, the Lord knows who are his. How many of you remember that passage in the gospel of Matthew where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Remember that? And then he says, and some will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not sung in the choir, gone to church, given in the offering, cast out devils? Have we not done all these many wonderful works? And then the Lord will say to them, what? Depart from me. I never knew you. Now, they may have been in the building. They may have been in the church, but they weren't his. And God knows who are his. Amen. Someone said that uh, going to church no more makes you a Christian than going into a garage makes you an automobile. A lot of truth in that. Amen. You can go to church for years and never be a Christian. 
Listen, I can tell you because I know for a fact people who have preached the gospel that weren't saved and told me later they weren't Christians. They didn't even believe, but they took it up as a, as a vocation, like being a painter or a carpenter. They decided to preach, but they didn't even believe what they were preaching. But here's what the Bible says. There is a solid foundation and we need to understand that the Lord knows those who are his. And then here's something else that's very important about Christians and what we need to understand. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. How many will agree with me that the Bible teaches that those who are born again and those who are saved need to quit their sinning? Is that right? Is that biblical? Uh, today we see so many people who buy a hell insurance policy. That is to say that they come to Christ and they say a prayer and they've been taught and they believe at that point then that their, their salvation is secure because they just uttered these words or shook the preacher's hand or made this confession when this confession perhaps may not have been from the heart to begin with and certainly did not result in any life change. How many of you know when you get saved, your life changes? The Bible says that old things pass away. Behold, all things become, you become a new creature when you become a Christian. And you do not continue in your sinning ways. Amen? And so I think this is so important. The Bible does say concerning our text today about this foundation, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. I, I have got to tell you that this message that I'm sharing with you today is very important and very serious. It's very serious. I've had the opportunity over the years to do a little bit of building this is the second church I was involved in in the building process. We built one in Missouri and one here. Um, at least two houses I have built. And one of the things that I have learned is that there is somebody that is appointed to make sure you do the job Right. He's called a building inspector. Every time he comes around, he doesn't mess around. He's looking, he's prodding, he's answering questions, asking questions. Sometimes, sometimes he's answering questions too that you don't even ask. He's telling you where this is wrong and where that is wrong. In other words, it's a very serious thing. You just don't throw up a building. You've got somebody analyzing everything you do every step of the way. And they'll come by and check it out. You see, before you... Before, I've always thought this was strange. Maybe you didn't know this. But when you actually dig a hole in the ground to pour concrete in, they come and inspect that hole before you put concrete in it. Now that sounds ridiculous, but it's a very important thing because they want to make sure it's deep enough that it's prepared right. Every step of the way, it's like that meticulous examination, knowing exactly what is happening so that the integrity, not only of the foundation, but also of the building can be maintained. That scripture keeps ringing in my ears. The Lord knows those who are his. He knows what belongs in the building and he knows what doesn't. Amen. Now, when we're talking about this, this foundation, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 verses 19 through 22, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, if you are glad that you are a member of the household of God, would you just say, thank you, Jesus. Verse 20 says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So if you would, let's use this imagery. You take, and Jesus is the one who, 
who organized the church, ordained the church. He's the head of the church, the Bible says. So let's picture Jesus as being this great, big, gigantic, square rock. And you put that rock, or let's put it this way. He put that rock right where he wanted it. And he positioned it like he wanted. It's square. And he puts it exactly where he wants it. That's the cornerstone. And from that cornerstone, the rest of that building has to line up with the cornerstone. So Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, the the cornerstone is set. And then he chooses apostles. Did he not? He went out and called them by name. And Jesus put them in his building so that they became part of the foundation. So Jesus and the apostles and the prophets are the the foundation of this thing we call the church. This building that God is building that he puts us into and he knows that we are his. It's fitted together. It grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And it's being built For a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Did you know that God wants to dwell here? I'm not talking about in these sheetrock walls and on this concrete floor that's covered with carpet and this metal roof that's over our head. I'm not talking about God dwelling there. I'm talking about God dwelling here. And then collectively, all of us who know him and are known by him, God dwelling there. He dwells in our midst. We are a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. Again, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. 2 Timothy 3.16. We're getting a little closer to where we want to go now. As Paul continues to speak to Timothy as as a father in the faith. He says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. If you are doing something wrong, really wouldn't you appreciate being reproved? That was really kind of weak. If, if I am doing something that is sinful and God calls it sinful, I want somebody to tell me. It's not unusual at all for people to come up to me after church and say, Pastor, you got all over my toes today. And I'll say, well, I'm sorry. I, that wasn't my goal. I'm just trying to preach the word. Oh, I, I don't, I'm not complaining. I'm glad you, you, I'm glad you tell it like it is, but keep, keep go, keep going, keep doing it. I'm not asking you to stop, but I'm just letting you know you got all over my toes today. Well, all scripture is given by, first of all, all scripture is God breathed. All the epistles that Paul wrote, this, this were not Paul's ideas. All scripture is God breathed. That's the, the, the real translation of that. Inspiration of God. All scripture is God breathed. And it is profitable for doctrine, for teaching. You want to know what to believe? You want to know how to live? Go look in the word of God. It tells you. If you want to know how to raise your children, don't go ask Dr. Spock. Look in the word of God. If you want to know how to raise your family, don't look at culture. Go to the word of God. If you want to know what is sin and what is not sin, don't don't go to Dr. Phil. Go to Dr. Jesus. (laughs) Go look in the word of God at what the Bible says. Because our foundation, our very important foundation is found in the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so in 2 Timothy 4 verse 2, Paul tells Timothy this. He says, preach the word, Timothy. Now remember, these are pastoral epistles. Paul, the apostle, is writing to these pastors, Timothy and Titus, and telling these pastors what to do. And as we summarize that, he, he does so in these verses that I'm sharing. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince. It also could be rendered convict, but I see that as the job of the Holy Spirit. Convince people of the truth. 
rebuke people, exhort people with all long suffering and teaching. I got to tell you something that came to my mind. This is about the third time I've touched on this, counting our Bible studies and so forth. And I'm thinking as a pastor, and Paul's writing to pastors and knowing what pastors do, and sometimes the criticism that pastors get, it, it means something to me to read these verses. Uh, let me shine the light on this for you, as the puppet was doing a while ago. To the pastor, Paul said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. I heard my dad say years ago, there's times when preaching the Bible is in vogue. When it is, preach the word. There's times when it's not popular and people don't want to hear it. Preach the word. When it's in season, when it's out of season, preach the word. Convince, rebuke, and exhort. Now, you tell me what happens to somebody who convinces, rebukes, and exhorts. Pardon me? They get talked about. Do, do people usually take kindly to being rebuked? No. Do people usually take kindly when they're exhorted forcefully? People, especially people now, kind of resent that. It's not just now. It's been all been that way all along. We don't like getting corrected. I didn't like it when I was three. I didn't like it when I was 16. I don't like it now. But I need it. And you need it. We all need it. And most of the time, if we're mature, somebody brings something to our attention. We say, thank you. Thank you for helping me see that. Thank you for helping me understand that. But when you convince and rebuke and exhort, you might as well get ready for some suffering. So that's why Paul said to Timothy, you convince and you rebuke and you exhort and you do it with all long suffering. That's what long suffering means, to suffer long. And if you do what I'm telling you to do, Timothy, you're going to suffer. Just get ready and be prepared. You're going to do it. It's part of what you do. You're going to have to do it. Long suffering. Because you're doing what you're supposed to do. Well, that's why Timothy was, was um, I guess at this particular point in time, he was really down. And Paul said, you need to stir up the gift of God which is in you. You need to be strong. You need to fight the good fight of faith. Don't, don't be fearful, Timothy. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind, he said to Timothy. So, the next scripture, 2 Timothy 3 verse 1. Paul, you need to, or Timothy, you need to preach because... Chapter 3, verse 1, know this, that in the last time, perilous times will come. Let me turn there and read some of that to you. But may I, may I just share with you that in my Bible, there is a title heading to this chapter. If you're using the New King James Version, you've got it too. And it's on the screen there. Never had thought about that. Until I think this morning. But know this. That in the last days. Perilous times will come. Dangerous times are going to come. The last days are going to be dangerous. They're going to be dangerous times. Because there are dangerous men. You see it's the perilous men. And women. It's the perilous people. Who make it perilous times. And so he says, for men will be lovers of themselves, 
lovers of money, boasters and proud and blasphemers and disobedient to parents and unthankful and unholy and unloving and unforgiving and slanderers and without self-control and brutal and despisers of good and traitors and headstrong and haughty and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, maybe even being in church but being guilty of these things. And you tell me that's not dangerous. That's why the chapter heading is perilous times and perilous men. And then Timothy's supposed to go in there and rebuke and exhort and correct and address those things that these dangerous, perilous men are doing. Well, most of us know that the foundation nationally in our, in our country, the, the foundation is eroding. Even personally, on a personal level, our foundation personally, as Christ followers, it's eroding. I don't mean for all of us, but I mean as a whole. Our, our morals, our, our culture is just going farther and farther away from what is biblical and what is right. It's a dangerous time. There are things being accepted and believed and preached in churches now that never would have been tolerated years ago. So we've got all of that to contend with. And then Paul writes to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4 verse 10, and says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. So then you got got people... Leaving, he got distracted, he got his eyes off the Lord, and he just took off. He used to be profitable, he used to be helpful, he used to preach, he used to be in ministry, he worked alongside of Paul, but then he says, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Two more are mentioned there, and that's um, Christians for Galatia and Titus for Dalmatia. And these men went other places, but they went in ministry. But Demas, he just got discouraged and quit. It's very painful when people get discouraged and quit. So Paul writes to Timothy and to Titus. And here's the summary of the pastoral epistles. The message of the pastoral epistles is this. Timothy and Titus, you preach. Preach to them. Teach them. Speak to them. Exhort them. Remind them. Affirm things to them. Set in order those things that need to be set in order. And hold fast. Hold fast to the truth. Don't let it go. And here's what I really want to talk about. I've said all that I've said so far to get to this point. They were told to commit these things to others. The truth of God's word. The integrity of that foundation and what it stands for. That is the word of God. You have, that is the job of a pastor. To declare the word of God unashamedly. Explain what it means and challenge all of us, pastor included, to live by it. That's the job. Some people want to hear it. Some people don't. Doesn't matter. He says you preach the word. You teach and affirm and exhort and remind and affirm and set in order and hold fast. Do not be ashamed, he says. Commit these things to others. That's what I want to focus on in just a few moments. I'd like to share with you that things have changed. Things are not like they used to be. America right now has been influenced by an anti-Christian sentiment. An anti-God sentiment. Godless thinking. 
Several times in the last few days, I've heard atheists and mockers refer to God as the sky fairy. The Bible is equal to being a joke in a lot of people's minds. Christians are equated with being morons. Our vice president was called mentally ill because he admitted that he prayed and talked to God and he listened for God's voice. And the nation laughed. And now I've heard several other people since then equate Christians with being people who are mentally ill. We live, folks, in very perilous times. But I want to share with you how things have changed. Because it wasn't always that way in America. I'm going back to the period of colonial America. The second best selling book in the American colonies. That's a long time ago, right? Long time ago. The first best selling book, you know what that was. The Bible. The second best selling book in the New England colonies was called the New England Primer. I would probably always pronounce it primer, but it's actually called the primer. The New England Primer. Five million copies existed in America in 1776, and there are only four million people. So what's that tell you about how popular that book is? The New England Primer was basically a first grade reader. Remember the little books you got when you were in... See, when I was little, we didn't have kindergarten. We had first grade. Now we have kindergarten. But remember those little books that had reading in them? Run, spot, run. See Jane run? Just little sentences like that. It was, it was the first grade reader to teach you how to read. I want you to listen to this as I, as I read directly from the New England primer. As they learn the alphabet, A, in Adam's fall, we send all. B, heaven defined the Bible mind. C, Christ crucified for sinner died. Wow. And it goes through the whole alphabet and every letter of the alphabet, there was a spiritual, a, a scripture, a Spiritual truth being taught there. Now we're talking little bitty kids. We're talking six year old. Uh, in case you didn't know, that's not happening anymore. The word of God permeated society. The very first university to open in the United States was Harvard. 1636, their document at Harvard, Rules and Precepts, and I quote, Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. Uh, that's the way it was in America back in the beginning. And then... Oh, I didn't finish yet. And therefore lay Christ at the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Wow. Harvard. The original motto for Harvard was truth for Christ and the church. Princeton's founding statement and I quote, cursed is all learning that is contrary to the cross of Christ. 1746. Columbia University is one of the most liberal universities in the nation now. But their seal, their official seal to this day 
says on it, Yahweh, which is written in Hebrew. Psalm 36 verse 9 in Latin, in thy light, we see light. And 1 Peter 2 verses 1 and 2, an admonishment to desire the pure milk of God's word. We're back in the early days of our nation. Governor Morris. Now, Governor is a name, not it's not Governor. It's Governor Morris. He was a a writer of the preamble to the Constitution, and he also signed the U.S. Constitution. Listen to what he said. Religion is the only solid basis of good morals. Therefore, education should teach the precepts of religion and the duties of man towards God. And Titus 2 will begin in just a moment. And as you're turning there, if you haven't already, let me remind you, I've said this before. I am soon to be 62 years old. And America has gone down like a sliding board in my 62 years. When I was a little boy, there was prayer in schools. There was Bible reading in schools. The Ten Commandments were all over the place. Now, there's no more prayer in schools. There's no Bible reading generally. It used to be that all little children, when they went to school... Heard the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. They heard a scripture reading, had a devotional. All that's gone. And all those little children that never used to have parents that were Christians or never went to church, they got a little bit of the Word of God when they went to school. That was 60 years ago. They don't get that anymore. 1962 was when that changed. Prayer was taken out of schools. Bible reading was later. Many other things since then. I heard on the news this week now where one school system, one of the northern states, I forget one which, which one it was, literally it's before the state legislature to let high, to let school students determine their own gender without consulting their parents first. So that if a male wants to identify as a female or a female wants to identify as a male, you don't have to ask mom and dad. All you do is go tell the people at school, they'll change your records and you become what you want to be. If that's not stupid. And contrary to the word of God. That's how far we've come. Children, because this is now the third generation since 1962. In other words, we've lived long enough to raise adult kids three times over since then. We've got a culture that has no foundation in the Word of God. That couldn't be said when I was growing up. When I was growing up, everybody was, if they weren't a real Christian, everybody was a Christian. You know what I mean? It was just everybody identified. Everybody identified with believing the Bible. And it, it was very rare to find people who did. We could give many examples to that. That's changed. These are perilous times. Perilous times, however, simply mean it's time for somebody to take a stand. It's time for somebody to tell the truth. And all over this world right now, there are pastors and preachers and church members just like you who are standing up for the foundation that's laid in God's word and they will not give in. Their attitude is, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation and I will not cave, I will not keep quiet, I will not blend in, I will stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. So we... We have to pay attention then to things like we read in Titus chapter 2. Remember when I referred a few moments ago that we have a responsibility to tell others? That's where we're picking up with that idea as we bring this to a close in a few moments. Titus chapter 2. But as for you, Titus, 
Remember now, Paul the apostle is speaking to a pastor. Here's what he says. But as for you, Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That the older men be sober. Now that has nothing to do in this passage with drinking liquor. It has to do with being circumspect. That is to say that before you do anything or say anything, you think about it first. Is there a risk of me saying something here that's going to disappoint the Lord? That's being sober. Tell the older men to be sober and reverent and temperate and sound in the faith and in love and in patience. Verse 3. Tell the older women likewise. Tell them. Tell them that they need to be reverent in behavior. Tell them that they don't need to be slanderers. They shouldn't do that. Not given to much wine. Teachers of good things. And verse 4. Tell them that they need to admonish the young women to love their husbands. Wait a minute, let me just pause here a moment and say, given what I've just shared with you, that there's been three generations of kids who've been born since what happened in the 60s. If we've ever needed mature women to teach mature women, to teach younger women, it's today. Because a lot of times, mama wasn't there to teach them, and grandma didn't teach them. And they've grown up with no basis and no foundation in their lives. They need the word of God. And somebody's got to teach them. And that's where we as a church, we have to, we have to understand. We have to remember. It may not be my son and it may not be my daughter, but I have a responsibility to stand up and teach them the word of God. And you have a responsibility if you're a mature woman to teach the younger. Men. Teach the younger men. Older women, teach the younger women. They, how are they going to know if you don't teach them? We have, not just Titus has that responsibility. We all have that responsibility. Teach them to love their husbands, to love their children. To be discreet and chaste and homemakers and good. And obedient to their own husbands that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Well, we've talked about the older men and with older women and the young women. Now, verse 6, he says, Now, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. And, and Titus, this is for you, he says, In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. Teach the word of God in all these ways. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. That one who is an opponent may be ashamed. Having nothing evil to say of you. For the sake of time, I'm going to skip to verse 11 as we shorten this just a bit. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Now, some people tell us we can't do that. Some people tell us that when we get to heaven, we'll be able to live holy, but we can't live holy here. I'm here to tell you, you need to read your Bible. The Bible says we can be holy here. We can be set apart here. We can be changed here. Remember, when you get born again, old things are passed away. All things have become new. I'm not talking about being perfect. Here's another thing about being perfect while I'm being a pastor this morning and teaching. Listen, you'll probably never be perfect in my eyes and I probably never will be perfect in your eyes. Because we're people and we all got our hang-ups. Amen? But what we're striving to do is be 
complete and mature in God's eyes. Right? He says, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Paul wouldn't have said it if we couldn't do it. And then he says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wait a minute, looking for? Jesus had a lot to say about that, about not going to sleep, about being alert. Watching and praying, being ready, because one day Jesus is coming, folks. And it's closer right now than it's ever been before. You have never been closer to the coming of Jesus than you are right now. And what's on my mind is, that means we ought to be closer to Jesus than we've ever been, since His coming is closer than it's ever been. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us. Listen now. That he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. Zealous for good works. Now Titus, verse 15, speak these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. And on and on he goes telling Timothy and Titus about how they need to be faithful, take a stand, preach the word, and keep the foundation with integrity. See, the foundation has to be right. Am I correct? Next slide, please. Oh, there's that picture again. That's pretty shabby, is it not? That would never stand against any storm. Not a bad storm. A bad storm would wipe that right out. You know what Jesus told the people one day? He said, now, be careful how you build. Some people build of wood, hay, and stubble. And when the storms come, because they built on the sand, when the storm comes, it washes everything away. Jesus said, don't be that way. Build your house upon the rock. And then when the storms come, your house is going to stand. I'll tell you folks, the foundation makes the difference. Pastor Ron's ideas aren't worth a nickel. I'll go farther than that. Billy Graham's ideas aren't worth a nickel. But the teaching of the Word of God, which Billy Graham stood on and which his pastor preaches each Sunday, that's worth a great deal and constitutes the foundation for our faith. So don't get the message confused with the messenger. The messenger has flaws. The message is pure, has integrity. The next slide, please. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, Paul said the same thing. Same Paul, same apostle. He says, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Isn't that where we started? He was the chief cornerstone. He aligned the apostles in the way he chose. He sent them out. And now all of us are builders in this great house. That the Lord is building on the same foundation. We better make sure we're building on that foundation. That's what we're believing. That's what we're living. That's what we're committed to. Because I'm going to tell you. It doesn't matter what anybody says. There's only one way to get to heaven. I said there's only one way. To get to heaven. No other foundation. Can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ? I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the foundation. We got a lot of crazy ideas and a lot of crazy preaching and a lot of crazy things being taught in churches nowadays. But it's not worth a nickel if it doesn't align with the foundation. Amen? 
Would you stand with me? Next slide, please. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more can He say than to you He hath said to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my gracious, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with Thee thy trials to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flames shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume. And thy gold to refine. Years ago, there came to be a phrase that was very, very popular in the church. It was a Latin phrase, sola scriptura, which simply means only the Bible, the Bible alone. It reminds me of what we say when we join our church here. We you sincerely promise in the presence of God and these witnesses that you will take this Bible as the word of God, believe and practice its teachings rightly divided. That's what, what's what we mean. Just the Bible. It's, it's the Bible that I'm accepting. It's the Bible that's my foundation. It's the word of God that I'm going to stand on. That's what we believe. And that's what's important. Lord, we thank you today for your holy word. I pray, Lord, that you would forgive us. Corporately and individually. Forgive us. Lord, for being less than knowledgeable about our scriptures. We should have studied more. We should have read more. We should have cared more what your word says. If we had, there would be some who wouldn't be deceived today. All of us would be stronger in the faith than we are today. So we pray that you would help us. Help us to understand, Lord, that we must build on this foundation, that of the word of God. 
Help us not be deceived by the many false doctrines that circulate in this world today. Help us not to be led astray by the influences of our culture, which have largely turned their back on you. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on the prize, to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, so that one day when we stand before you, we can hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear that, Lord. I want to hear that. I want each person here to hear that. And your word says, you know those who are yours. And let those who name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Teach me that, Lord. And teach us all that. That we have a responsibility to you. Have your way in our lives, we pray. For those who were not able to be here today, Lord, keep them safe on their journeys. For those of us who are here, Lord, may your word take root in our hearts and in our lives. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we leave, I'll remind you, if you have any ideas or help or assistance at all with uh, helping Brian Bangert, If you would speak to me about that as you leave. Thank you so much. God bless you today.